0: Something to note, all of the groups covered on this show operate in secret. The details included in this episode are based on extensive research, but cannot ultimately be 100% verified, except by society members themselves.
1: This episode features discussions of violence, police brutality, and murder. Discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13.
0: On September 28, 2018, the East Los Angeles Sheriff Station rented out Kennedy Hall for a party. Their newest class of recruits had finished training, officially joining the ranks of full-fledged deputies that patrolled East LA. The party raged until early the next morning when the celebrants trickled outside, slowly making their way toward their cars. Suddenly, shouts sounded from the far end of the parking lot Fists started flying. Within minutes, two of the new deputies went from celebrating their achievements to fighting for their lives.
1: The officers had been attacked by members of a ruthless sheriff gang called the Bandidos. Within minutes, they both lay unconscious as their fellow deputies struggled to peel them off the pavement. Later, department higher ups would characterize the fight as a drunken argument gone too far a problem between individuals. But the reality was much different. After months of targeted harassment, several East L.A. Sheriff's deputies had been beaten into submission by their own colleagues.
0: Hi, I'm Kate Leonard.
1: I'm Greg Polson.
0: And this is our final crossover episode of Secret Societies and Kingpins, both Spotify originals from Parcast. For the past four weeks, we've been taking you through a deep dive into the deputy gangs hidden within the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department.
1: Today, we close out the series with the East Los Angeles Bandidos. For nearly a decade, the Bandidos have allegedly run the East LA Sheriff substation, operating the department like a criminal gang. Former deputies have described a culture of intimidation, retaliation, and fear.
0: This week, we'll discuss the violent 2018 incident that brought the banditos to light. We'll dive into the current legal battle over the gang, and we'll predict what it could mean for the future of the L.A. Sheriff's Department and policing nationwide.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. On September 18, 2019, eight deputies from East L.A. filed a legal complaint, starting a civil lawsuit against several colleagues. They accused these officers of belonging to the Bandidos, the gang responsible for the brutal attack at the 2018 Kennedy Hall Party. The events outlined in this episode stem mainly from the allegations cited in that document. As of this recording, the case filed by plaintiffs Art Hernandez, Alfred Gonzalez, David Casas, Mario Contreras, Oscar Escobedo, Ariela Lemus, Benjamin Zaradini, and Luis Granados is still ongoing.
0: For the past 50 years, the East Los Angeles Sheriff Station has featured, at least off and on, a unique logo a boot and riot helmet emblazoned with the words Fort Apache. The station borrowed the name from a 1948 John Wayne Western, depicting soldiers stationed at a remote military fort who massacred local Native Americans.
1: It's a fitting symbol for how many East L.A. deputies probably saw themselves over the years, a bastion of law amidst a brown criminal neighborhood.
0: This us-versus-them culture has long been perpetuated by deputy gangs in East L.A. First, it was the Little Devils in 1971, then the cavemen called the shots, today it's the Banditos.
1: The city learned of the Banditos after they attacked their co-workers in 2018. But the East L.A. community had long suspected that the local police force was under gang rule. The fight simply gave them a name.
0: The Bandidos are a group of around 90 deputies concentrated within the East LA substation. They were, and perhaps are, the ones who truly called the shots. Bandidos controlled dispatch, scheduling, and training new deputies. What
1: set the Bandidos apart from prior deputy gangs was their ethnicity. While the cavemen and the little devils were largely white, The Bandidos are, by all accounts, almost entirely Latino men.
0: But like the gangs before them, the Bandidos almost exclusively targeted and harassed other male Latinos, including deputies in their own department.
1: Though it's not clear when exactly the Bandidos came to power at the station, the current issues began in 2017.
0: That's when Rafael René Munoz, aka Big Listo, reportedly took control of the gang.
1: By all accounts, Big Listo shouldn't have been at the East LA station at all. The department previously fired him for domestic violence, but later rehired him as a training officer.
0: According to the 2019 civil lawsuit, the Bandidos became bolder and more aggressive under Big Listo. As a training officer, Big Listo handpicked prospects to groom for membership and terrorized deputies who didn't join.
1: He also ramped up unlawful policing procedures. The banditos enforced illegal arrest quotas, pressuring deputies to aggressively over-police the neighborhood.
0: To meet these quotas, deputies were encouraged to stop civilians without probable cause, a violation of their constitutional rights. To make charges stick, gang members instructed deputies to find evidence of a crime after the fact. And if there was none, to plant it.
1: And because the gang ran the station, there was no accountability at all.
0: For example, the 2019 lawsuit alleged that Big Listo once hit an elderly, undocumented immigrant with his car. To cover up the crime, he and another bandito arrested the victim and turned him over to ICE, who deported him.
1: Things were just as ruthless within the department, Noncompliance with the gang's rules could get you hurt or even killed.
0: In the suit, the plaintiffs accused Big Listo and the other banditos of willfully endangering deputies they didn't like. They claimed the gang would not send backup on calls, forcing officers to face dangerous criminals alone.
1: In one case, a deputy was sent on a solo call, wherein the suspect shot them twice. The only reason the officer wasn't killed was because two special law enforcement units were in the vicinity and rushed to their aid.
0: While this is extreme, it's only one example of the dangerous tactics the Bandidos used to intimidate their colleagues. According to an article in LAist, the Bandidos demanded their coworkers pay taxes to fund the gang's travel and parties. They even reportedly attempted to sexually coerce female deputies. In
1: 2014, even before Big Listo came to power, Deputy Guadalupe Lopez filed her own separate lawsuit against the bandidos, accusing members of sexual harassment. The gang allegedly demanded sex from her. When she refused, they retaliated. She claimed she was run off the road while driving and that she was thrown against a wall while holding a loaded shotgun. Most bizarrely, Lopez found a dead rat placed under her car a casual reminder that snitches get stitches.
0: Los Angeles County settled with Deputy Lopez for $1.5 million.
1: The Bandidos were unfazed. By that point, their gang had unchecked power.
0: Being a Bandido meant being protected. It was the ultimate carte blanche.
1: Young deputies vied for admission to the gang. If they were a young Latino man, Bandidos might approach them but they'd have to prove their worth.
0: Bandito pledges were introduced to a mentor. According to the 2019 suit, some of these mentors were actually training officers. That meant they were given access to prospects, teaching them to act like gang members from day one.
1: During this grooming period, bandito mentors taught recruits how things work at the station. While no one's come forward outlining the specific requirements one must meet to become a member. We can assume recruits had to prove their loyalty somehow, perhaps collect taxes for the party fund, or harass other officers.
0: They'd also have to uphold the code of silence. Bandidos had to be willing to corroborate their story, no matter what.
1: To confirm a new member, Bandidos gathered together at the home of Deputy Noel Lopez, aka Crook. They held what they called roundtable meetings there, regularly discussing everything from police fundraisers and staff barbecues to gang business.
0: The Bandidos were a democratic group. They'd vote on prospective members, selecting the most ruthless and unscrupulous recruits to join the organization.
1: When a prospect learned they'd beneficially voted into the gang, there was only one thing left to do. Get the tattoo.
0: It's unclear what ritual the Bandidos might have observed when getting inked, we know that some LASD criminal groups went together to the same artist, celebrating their new member. Others had a special stencil they brought to the shop.
1: But the result is the same. Each new member of the Bandidos received a grinning skeleton with a thick mustache and a wide sombrero. The skeletons wear a bandolier full of bullets and a six-pointed deputy star. In his right hand, the Bandito holds a smoking, Wild West-style revolver.
0: The new member also received a number somewhere on their tattoo, indicating the order in which they joined.
1: With that, the prospect became a full-fledged bandido, and as such, untouchable. Up next, the East LA Bandidos take full advantage of their power.
2: Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. If you haven't had a chance to check out the entertaining new podcast, Blind Dating, now's the time to binge what you've missed before catching all new episodes every Wednesday. In this Spotify original from Parcast, we're expanding the places you can meet your match with a twist you'll never see coming. Join host Tara Michelle as she introduces one hopeful single to two strangers in a voice only call. Through a series of illuminating games and questions, the trio will get to know one another without the distraction of appearances but once the cameras are turned on is personality still enough for these strangers to fall for each other or will they say farewell connect with new episodes of blind dating every wednesday you can find and follow blind dating free on spotify or wherever you get your podcasts now back to the story
1: by the spring of 2018, the Bandidos had a stronghold on the East L.A. substation, a smaller outpost of the East Los Angeles Sheriff's Station. But after years of bullying and harassment, two non-Bandido deputies decided they'd had enough and blew the whistle.
0: These were deputies Luis Granados and Benjamin Zaradini. Granados was a senior deputy who had been at the station since 2006. The Bandidos disliked him but being a former Marine, they seemed afraid to bother him. Even so, Granados saw the escalation of gang violence under Big Listo and felt he had to do something.
1: Zaradini was a training officer and had once been a bandito's prospect, but after growing disillusioned with their hostile M.O., he removed himself from the running, which angered the banditos.
0: Granados and Zaradini met with Lieutenant Richard Mejia, a sympathetic member of station management who had also become weary of the gang. After their meeting, Lieutenant Mejia interviewed 20 fellow deputies, all of whom agreed there was a gang issue at the station. But when Mejia reported this to his superiors, the request for an inquiry went nowhere.
1: And the retaliation began. It came from both sides, management and the gang.
0: Sergeant Angelica Estrada, aka the Pink Hand, discovered the whistleblower's identities almost as soon as they stepped forward. According to the 2019 lawsuit, Estrada immediately took her information to Captain Chris Perez and Chief Denham, the two men in charge of the station.
1: Estrada made Perez and Denham promise that nothing would be done to protect Zaradini or Granados. They agreed, possibly because they supported the banditos, or because they simply didn't like whistleblowers.
0: Either way, Granados was soon denied a promotion he'd earned and Zaradini lost his position as a training officer.
1: The Bandidos made an example of these whistleblowers. They were seemingly masters of intimidation.
0: But in the wake of the complaint, they no longer seemed content with threatening non-Bandido coworkers. From then on, their objective was to drive them out of the station.
1: Over the next six months, they overloaded non-Bandidos with calls. They stopped sending out backup and created an openly hostile environment within the station.
0: By the fall of 2018, the station was a powder keg. And with the right spark, it was ready to explode.
1: One of the Bandidos' frequent victims during this time was Deputy Alfred Gonzalez, a relatively new addition to their station. Gonzalez alleged that the bandidos targeted him, especially the gang's leaders, Rafael Munoz, AKA Big Listo, along with Gregory Rodriguez, AKA G-Rod, and David Silverio, AKA Silver.
0: On the evening of September 27, 2018, Big Listo, G-Rod, and another bandido named Vincent Moran harassed Gonzalez on the station's outdoor patio. They claimed Gonzalez didn't make enough arrests If he wasn't able to meet the quota, he should look elsewhere for employment.
1: Gonzalez brushed them off and headed home for the night. He figured it was just another run-of-the-mill intimidation tactic. But Big Listo and his comrades didn't like the way Gonzalez dismissed them, so they decided to teach him a lesson.
0: The following evening was September 28th, 2018, the night of the station-wide party at Kennedy Hall.
1: The mood was jubilant. Music pulsed through the speakers and the new employees shared beers with veteran officers. Alex Villanueva, an East L.A. alum campaigning for sheriff, came to visit his old comrades.
0: Even a few bandidos made an appearance. This was odd, as the bandidos didn't normally attend department parties, preferring to throw their own.
1: Throughout the night, gang members repeatedly approached Deputy Gonzalez, They brought up his disrespectful attitude and tried to intimidate or provoke him
0: as the celebration wound down the deputies moved to the parking lot and once again the banditos harassed gonzalez one gang member became especially agitated this was michael hernandez aka bam bam
1: the following details were alleged in the lawsuit filed on september 2019 Deputies Art Hernandez, Alfred Gonzalez, David Casas, Mario Contreras, Oscar Escobedo, and Ariela Lemus all gave statements on what followed.
0: Allegedly, Bam Bam told Gonzalez that he could hit him and face no consequences. Because Bam Bam was a bandido, no one, especially not management, would stop him.
1: In so many words, Bam Bam screamed, I have no problem messing with you and your family. And if I can't do it directly, I can find someone who can.
0: The fight that had been simmering all night finally boiled over.
1: Deputies Art Hernandez and Oscar Escobedo tried to de-escalate. But Big Listo, G-Rod, Silver, and Bam Bam attacked them. They knocked Hernandez down, stomping on his body. When he tried to get up, G-Rod punched him in the face, knocking him out cold.
0: Meanwhile, Bam Bam lifted Escobedo and pinned him to a fence. He strangled Escobedo with his own shirt until he lost consciousness.
1: Within minutes, the bandidos had beaten, kicked, and choked several deputies, even knocking two officers unconscious.
0: During the melee, on-duty officers assigned to work the party just stood by and watched. Some may have been too scared to intervene, Others were either gang prospects or members.
1: Bam Bam was right. No one would stop the banditos.
0: Four uninvolved deputies helped transport the downed officers out of the parking lot. But even then, the banditos wouldn't let up.
1: The lawsuit alleged that G-Rod, Big Listo, Silver, and another bandito called Cholo followed the fleeing victims. When they lost them in traffic, the officers returned to the East LA station, just in case the injured deputies came looking for help.
0: Instead, the injured deputies had headed for the hospital. There, doctors treated Art Hernandez for a concussion, as well as a deep cut that required sutures. Oscar Escobedo suffered severe neck pain, dizziness, and nausea from the altercation.
1: The fight set a new precedent for what was acceptable at the station. It turned out the Bandidos were only testing the waters, and even they were surprised at how deep they'd be allowed to swim.
0: Art Hernandez was on duty the next morning, September 29th. By the time he arrived at the station, the Bandidos were already working on a cover-up. Hernandez said a lieutenant asked him to lie in his statement about the fight. He told Hernandez what the official story would be, a drunken brawl between colleagues, There was no gang influence, period.
1: Kennedy Hall supposedly sent their CCTV footage of the fight to the East LA station, but the video inexplicably went missing.
0: The message was clear. This was a family matter, and any deputy caught airing the station's dirty laundry would suffer the consequences.
1: It seemed as if the banditos had completed their takeover of East LA. Even a brutal attack on their co-workers wasn't enough for higher-ups in the sheriff's department to take action.
0: Not yet, at least. But on December 3rd, 2018, weeks after the attack at Kennedy Hall, Alex Villanueva became the 33rd sheriff of Los Angeles County.
1: Villanueva apparently took the allegations against the banditos seriously. His first day in office, he visited the East L.A. station and replaced all the senior commanders.
0: This included Captain Chris Perez and Chief Denham, the two who punished Granados and Zarradini for whistleblowing. Villanueva also placed Big Listo, G-Rod, Silver, and Bam Bam on paid leave pending investigation.
1: As the saying goes, there was a new sheriff in town. It seemed like accountability had finally come to East LA.
0: At least, that's what it looked like at first the reality would be very, very different.
1: The sheriff Department's Internal Criminal Investigation Bureau interviewed deputies to get to the bottom of the fight. However, at Villanueva's request, they only looked into individual deputies' actions, not the gang as a whole.
0: Between September 28, 2018 and June 14, 2019, the Bureau attempted to interview 73 witnesses to the fight at the party. Of those, only 43 submitted to questioning.
1: Additionally, the detectives did not focus on the bandidos, even when the deputies themselves brought up the gang. They merely followed Sheriff Villanueva's mandate, zeroing in on the individual bad actors.
0: It seemed like no one had an interest in addressing the root problem, meaning the bandidos were far from being weeded out.
1: Up next, a glimmer of hope that could lead to a day of reckoning.
0: Now back to the story.
1: In December 2018, the new LA County Sheriff Alex Villanueva seemed genuinely interested in investigating the Kennedy Hall fight that had taken place that September, but it had been a ruse.
0: Villanueva did little more than shuffle around management, claiming in a press conference that the station's problems came from, quote, a leadership team that fell asleep at the switch.
1: In June 2019, Villanueva announced a new policy banning in-office cliques from violating the rights of citizens and other deputies. While he claimed he couldn't ban matching tattoos, he discouraged deputies from getting them and said, if they have the options, I would recommend they get rid of them. He also stated that he transferred 36 problematic deputies out of East LA.
0: But to many, this sounded like a lot of talk with minimal action. The policy curtailing violent cliques didn't have any specific language on gangs, and its loopholes were a mile wide. It also appeared to keep the burden of proof on the victims to show that their tormentors were part of an organized violent group.
1: And if Kennedy Hall wasn't seen as gang activity, what would be? What was to stop Villanueva from directing all investigations to focus on individuals rather than criminal conspiracies?
0: Finally, the issue of the 36 transfers. While it appeared that Villanueva was targeting and removing bandidos, that's not the whole story. According to Captain Ernie Chavez, the commander Villanueva placed in East L.A., many of the departures were voluntary. Some people got promotions, and some simply wanted to work at a different station.
1: And as far as we can tell, Big Listo, Silver, G-Rod, and Bam Bam, the accused instigators of the fight, haven't been fired. The last mention of their status is from a September 2019 LAist article, which asserts they are all on paid leave.
0: The deputies injured at the party realized that with Villanueva at the helm, justice or even accountability seemed like a pipe dream. So on September 18, 2019, they filed their complaint against LA County.
1: In addition to asking for damages, the document sought an explanation for Sheriff Villanueva's actions in the aftermath of the fight. The lawsuit also pointed out some incriminating alliances from Villanueva's past.
0: Before he was sheriff, He was Lt. Alex Villanueva of the East Los Angeles substation. He had been the training officer for Big Listo. The Bandito boss reportedly claimed that his friendship with Villanueva would protect him from any lawsuit.
1: And Villanueva's reluctance to address the Bandito problem seemingly confirmed Big Listo's claim. Villanueva has since referred to this gang violence as run-of-the-mill hazing gotten out of hand, He's also chalked it up to rivalry between veteran deputies and new recruits.
0: Ray Leva, former undersheriff to Villanueva, has also revealed a startling connection between his boss and the banditos. Leva claims that sometime in 2019, after the Kennedy Hall fight, Villanueva paid an undisclosed sum to G-Rod, one of the accused instigators.
1: The lawsuit alleged that Villanueva was actually rewarding G-Rod for his role in the fight.
0: We can't say with certainty whether that's true, but it wouldn't be the first time that Villanueva's rewarded known LASD gang members.
1: After Leva, he promoted Timothy Murakami to undersheriff. Murakami was an inked member of the Cavemen, the gang in East L.A. that preceded the Bandidos. Villanueva also promoted Larry Delmeza to his chief of staff. Allegedly, Delmeza was a Lennox Reaper who recently underwent laser removal for his tattoo.
0: Far from being the anti-corruption sheriff, it appears Villanueva had a standing tolerance, perhaps even a fondness, for LASD gangs.
1: It was obvious that Villanueva hamstrung the internal investigation, which declined to focus on the banditos. His public comments were telling. He gave the impression that he barely believed the gang existed, and he certainly didn't think it was a problem.
0: The deputies filed their civil suit in September 2019 because they expected no justice from the system. And they were right. On February 6, 2020, Jackie Lacey, the District Attorney of Los Angeles, declined to press charges for the fight.
1: Though the civil suit was still ongoing, it felt like the Bandidos had already won. While the plaintiffs may eventually win a settlement, their attackers would face no disciplinary action. And in East LA, the Bandidos still called the shots.
0: It's important to note that for much of this episode, we've been focusing on the East LA Bandidos and their relationship to other deputies in their station. To be fully transparent, This is because most of the information we have on the Bandidos is about the Kennedy Hall fight and the 2019 civil case filed against them.
1: But that's not to say the East LA Bandidos don't target members of their community the same way they do their co-workers. There are two reasons why we might not hear about it.
0: First, people might not report deputy gang encounters out of fear.
1: Second citizens who experience police brutality may not know their aggressor was a bandito.
0: However, two ongoing cases highlight what we do know about the banditos' activities outside the station. These incidents prove that the internal issue of the banditos is very much felt by the wider East LA community.
1: On August 12, 2018, 21-year-old Anthony Vargas walked home from a party and entered the courtyard at the Nueva Maravilla housing complex in East L.A.
0: Unbeknownst to him, East L.A. sheriff's deputies had reported to the complex at the same time to investigate a robbery. Deputies Nicholas Perez and Jonathan Rojas claimed they approached Vargas and a fight broke out. They said that the young man produced a gun and that they had to shoot him to protect themselves.
1: A lawsuit filed by the Vargas family alleged that both Deputies Perez and Rojas belonged to the bandidos. Perez was a prospect at the time, but he became a full-fledged gang member after shooting Vargas.
0: The Vargas suit also claimed that the two deputies planted a gun on the young man to give them just cause for executing him. According to Vargas's autopsy, he was shot 13 times in the back.
1: The following year, on December 16, 2019, Perez was involved in another shooting. This time, the sheriff department's official story was that Perez approached 25-year-old Jorge Serrano Jr. while he was walking down the street. The LASD claimed that Serrano pulled a gun and that Perez shot him in self-defense.
0: But according to Serrano's father, who filed his own lawsuit against the department, Serrano was unarmed. He ran for a block, then got on his knees with his hands up. Still, Perez shot him, and Serrano died at the scene.
1: These claims are disturbing. As you may recall from earlier in the episode, banditos were encouraged to plant evidence on suspects. So it makes sense Perez might try to drop a firearm near Serrano.
0: And it's sickening to think that shooting Anthony Vargas was treated as some sort of initiation.
1: But the Bandidos wouldn't be the first deputy gang to celebrate officer-involved shootings. The Linwood Vikings received special tattoos celebrating such incidents, and the Jump-Up Boys wrote into their code that members would gain respect after a gunfight.
0: Both Vargas and Serrano were Latino, but their cases and their extrajudicial killings may sound familiar to anyone following the national movement against police brutality. For the past decade especially, high-profile, extrajudicial killings of Black people have been marked by calls for action, reform, and accountability. Organizations like Black Lives Matter acted as a mouthpiece, demanding justice for those killed.
1: Over the past year, national outrage has reached a tipping point. Protests and rallies have dominated news cycles. Videos of these officer-involved executions have incited outrage and riots.
0: And despite this past decade's efforts to reform law enforcement, measures like additional training and body cameras haven't done much to curb police brutality.
1: Since 2015, The Washington Post has tracked every fatal shooting by an on-duty law enforcement officer in the United States. Even with new measures, the rate held steady. Police officers kill just shy of 1,000 people each year.
0: A new wave of activism has called to defund the police. This means divesting much of the money that would normally go to police budgets and reallocating it to community-based social services. For instance, instead of sending police to mediate a non-violent domestic disturbance, emergency response teams might send mental health professionals specifically trained to de-escalate those kinds of situations.
1: The hope is that by reducing the number of police on the street, police brutality and wrongful arrests would also decrease.
0: Others wish to abolish law enforcement as it currently exists. The goal would be to shift to a new model of public safety where the underlying causes of crime, like poverty, mental illness, and addiction, are addressed through community-based social welfare programs.
1: There's debate on which path to choose, but one thing is clear, the current system that protects violent and racist cops must go.
0: And there are signs that public pressure is beginning to work, though it often feels like two steps forward, one step back.
1: In August 2020, Sheriff Villanueva announced that he would be disciplining and possibly terminating 26 employees involved in the Kennedy Hall fight.
0: But in the same breath, Villanueva minimized the impact of deputy gangs, stating that he wouldn't investigate them. He likened it to an inquisition, saying, we're trying to run an organization, not engage in a witch hunt.
1: According to a follow-up LA Times article from October 5th, Only three of the 26 employees were going to be terminated.
0: And according to their attorney, some of the officers receiving discipline were actually victims in the fight. They were punished for not reporting the incident to their superiors, a claim that is simply untrue.
1: However, the 2019 civil suit has spurred more change within the department than any complaints filed by civilians.
0: While families that filed wrongful death suits may have received settlements, almost none of them stirred disciplinary action. This new move likely comes down to optics. It's a bad look for the LASD to be sued over police brutality by their own employees.
1: The move to terminate some of the offending deputies after two years of the LASD dragging their feet is certainly due to public pressure. The vocal Black Lives Matter movement and anti-police brutality protests have created a new paradigm in how we talk about and how we try to change law enforcement.
0: On September 17, 2020, the LA County Citizens Oversight Committee called on Sheriff Alex Villanueva to resign. Among multiple reasons, the committee cited deputy gangs, feeling that Villanueva had not done enough to eradicate them.
1: On October 26th, the LA County Board of Supervisors indicated they're ready to impeach Sheriff Villanueva. They're currently discussing a motion to study how they might remove the sheriff. As it's an elected position, it may even take a change to the California state constitution.
0: If the impeachment goes forward, the Office of Sheriff will become an appointed position, allowing for more accountability through checks and balances.
1: The Sheriff's Department was born out of the days of the Wild West. In East L.A., you need to look no further than the Fort Apache logo on the station door to see that mentality is still alive and well.
0: The Kennedy Hall fight will not be the last skirmish with a deputy gang, and removing Villanueva will not immediately fix the issues within the LASD. But it's a start.
1: If we're vigilant and persistent, we can redefine the relationship between law enforcement and those they're supposed to serve.
0: Perhaps reform is possible, or perhaps corruption needs to be ripped out by the root and completely overhauled. Thanks again for tuning into this special five-part crossover series between kingpins and secret societies.
1: For more information on the East Los Angeles Banditos, amongst the many sources we used, we found Celeste Fremont's articles from Witness LA extremely helpful to our research. To see the full list of sources used in this series, please visit Parcast.com.
0: You can find all episodes of Secret Societies and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
1: We'll see you next time.
0: Kingpins and Secret Societies are Spotify originals from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode was written by Molly Quinlan with writing assistance by Allie Wicker, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Julian Boireau, Brad Klein, and Brian Petrus. This episode stars Greg Polson and
2: Kate Leonard. Listeners, there's no better time than right now to open your heart to the hit Spotify original from Parcast, Blind Dating. Every Wednesday, find out if personality alone is enough to make a love connection. Follow Blind Dating, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.